Jesus saves. There's no greater or simpler truth than Jesus saves. Aren't you glad in a world filled with chaos that that simple fact remains true? Seems like a lot of times we're not sure which way to go or what's going to happen or what we should do. I was reminded as I was thinking upon the salvation that Jesus offers of what Paul desired to do as he would come from place to place. Paul didn't stay in a reason that it was important that he demonstrate his great personality or his charisma or anything like that. His desire was to stand and merely describe and affect people that they would know about Jesus. He said, I sought to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Here we have all these things in which we try to somehow determine how it is that we can convince those that are lost about the salvation that Jesus offers. And and maybe if we have this right personality or this program or this thing or that thing, that perhaps will be effective. Yet the scriptural example is to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And the Spirit of God is enough to do the rest. Aren't you glad of that? I think sometimes we try to make things an equation as to whether or not salvation is still something that is attractive to people. My friends, I want you to know when the Spirit comes upon the heart of a sinner, they are made to see the, the salvation that Jesus offers as the most beautiful thing in the world. And they will seek it until they find it. I'm glad of that. Why does a sinner seek after Jesus? except to know that there is peace that He alone can provide. This morning, if you are lost, I I ask for your attention today. Not because I'm a great orator or expositor of His Scriptures or because I am anything to be listened to. I ask for your attention because I want to tell you about Jesus. I'm convinced that Jesus can change your life. If I told you today that I had something that I wanted to share with you that would change your life, you'd be like, oh, please tell me. I want to share with you something today that can change your life. I want to tell you about Jesus. You say, Derek, how do you know that He can change my life? Because He's changed mine. And we can go through the Scriptures and we can read account after account after account of how He changed the lives of men and women. He came one time upon a woman who was standing next to a well. She was just going about her life, going to draw water as she probably had countless times before. But that day she met the Son of God and her life changed. He began to tell her things about herself that no one would have known, especially this stranger. 
While he did that, his desire was that she would take and drink of water of which she would never thirst again. And she tasted of that water and she went into the city and said, Come and see a man. That's the desire of my heart today is to tell you about the man Jesus. Is to tell you about the man Jesus. We'll do that this morning by looking at the third chapter of the book of John. Turn with me to John chapter 3. Some of the most famous verses in all the Scriptures. In fact, we'll, we'll read through uh, here as we go along the most probably famous verse in all the Scriptures uh, here in John chapter 3. Uh, but, but we want to read these things and I want to uh, talk about what, what we see uh, here in John chapter 3. I want to compliment the members of Faith Church and over the last several weeks as I've asked you to, to turn to uh, the Scriptures. I, I've heard all of you going through your Bibles and finding the page, and that blesses me to hear. And um, I just want to compliment the church for that. Uh, but we'll read here in John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees. His name was Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, he said, Verily, verily, that is, he said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered again, he said, Truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He said, Marvel not, he says, Do not be amazed that I said unto you, You must be born again. Verse 8 says, The wind blows where it listeth, the wind blows where it wishes, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but you cannot tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? In verse 10, Jesus answers and says unto him, Art thou a master or a teacher of Israel, and knowest not these things? Truly, truly, I say unto you, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not 
not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth come to the light that his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought in God. And we will stop there. That's verses 1 through 21 of the third chapter of the book of John. You probably have heard of some of these verses before. You've probably heard of John 3.16. We don't have as many fans at basketball and football games anymore, but I remember when I was younger and you'd see somebody behind the, the basketball goal at an NBA game with a sign that said John 3.16. Encouraging folks to go and read from these same scriptures that I've read to you today. We read the story of Nicodemus. And as we read the story of Nicodemus, I want to point out some things to you as we go along. The first thing I want to point out to you is the sinner that we're dealing with here. And his name is Nicodemus. The only things we know about Nicodemus we understand from here in the book of John. He mentioned a few times in the book of John. First here in chapter 3. We read about Nicodemus that he was one that was a ruler of the Jews. Somebody that sat on the high council, somebody that sat on the Sanhedrin would have been of some esteem and authority in the land. He was somebody that had some some, something about him that people would have looked to as though he had things together. He was an important person, an important figure. And he was coming to Jesus. We know that he was a rabbi, a teacher, a master, as Jesus called him, a master of Israel. He was a Pharisee. He was somebody who knew the law very well. He knew what we see on the left side of the Bible in the Old Testament. He knew all the things that God has outlined of those things that He desired His people to do and not to do. He understood the Ten Commandments and He understood all the laws that were expected to be kept here by these Pharisees. Yet He has seen Jesus. He has heard about Jesus. And so this is somebody of some esteem and some authority and some understanding of the Scriptures and of the law. He has come to Jesus. The next thing I want to point out to you is the setting in which He comes to Jesus. Scripture tells us He comes by night. There's a lot of ideas that have been proposed about why we see Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night, that he was coming because he didn't want anyone to know that he was coming to Jesus because he was a, a master of the law and because he was someone on the Sanhedrin and those sorts of things. Ultimately, Scripture doesn't go into depth about why he comes to Jesus by night, but I want you to see that he came to Jesus. That's the setting that I want you to realize. We can develop theories and ideas about why He came to Jesus as He did, but the most important thing for you to understand is that Nicodemus came to Jesus. He desired to go to the man and find out for himself about the things that he has witnessed and heard about. And so you ask, what has he witnessed? And what has he heard about? In the second chapter of the book of John, we see the very first miracle that Jesus ever performed. He was at a wedding in Cana. We see how it was that He turned the water into wine. Go and read that account. You'll see that, that Jesus' mom was, was weary. She was worried that they didn't want to have anything. And Jesus says, bring me that water. And He turns it into wine. 
After that, we see that they go back to Capernaum, him and his brothers and his mom and his disciples. They go back to Capernaum. And they're there for a few days, then they come into Jerusalem. They come into Jerusalem to observe the Passover. You can go back in chapter 2 and read all this. They come into Jerusalem to, to, to observe the Passover. And while we're there, Jesus comes into the temples, and He sees what's going on there in the temples. In the temple, rather. He sees what's going on about how we have these money changers, and they're selling animals for sacrifice there in the temple. But people might come. They won't have to be bothered by bringing anything of their own. They can come and buy something to offer on the altar there in the temple from those money changers. And Jesus is angered by this. He sees what's going on and, and his heart is weary and, and angered over this such that he begins to braid together, wind together cords into a scourge or into a whip. And he chases the money changers out of the temple. Jesus took a whip and he chased the money changers out of the temple and he turned over their tables. Jesus had a desire that his, this temple, that the house of God would not be dealt with unrighteously. Sometimes we think that this place where we come together and worship is just a place for our enjoyment. Well, I want you to understand Jesus had a deep concern about the house of God and about the things that were going on in it. I think we should too, don't you? And nevertheless, we see that he turns over the money changers' tables and, and we see him then interacting with the Jews after this. The Jews have stood by and they see what's going on and they're wondering, how does this man, why is this man doing this? On what authority does he have to go and, and chase these money changers out and turn the tables over? So we see in chapter 2 that they're asking, they're saying, what sign showest thou unto these, seeing that thou doest these things? They said, what, what sign do you have to show unto us of your authority, seeing that you've gone and done this? Listen to what Jesus says. I'm back in chapter 2, verse 19. He says, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews were confused by what he said. They thought he was talking about this literal temple. And he was saying, It took years. The Jews are saying, It took years to build this temple. Yet you're saying that you're going to tear it down and build it up again in three days? They didn't understand that Jesus was talking about himself and about how he would be buried, but on the third day he would rise again. He spoke of the temple of his body. Verse 21 tells us. The disciples remembered this, but we see that while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, that many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he had done. So we see that Nicodemus has heard all these things that are going on. He's seen that Jesus has come into the temple and what he has done in cleansing the temple and driving the money changers out. He has heard about the interaction with the Jews was probably a part of those people that were asking for a son. And so he comes to Jesus by night. And he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God because no one can do these things that you are doing unless they were come from God except that God would be with him. He has a pursuit of truth here. Nicodemus has set out for himself to understand who Jesus is. I want you to know today, you that, that maybe you're a young person, maybe you're somebody that's not been in church very often, you're someone who's lost, you, you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. When I talk about being saved and being lost, maybe you have no clue what those words even mean. What I want to recommend to you is to go to Jesus. Nicodemus wasn't able to make sense of the things that he was seeing other than that this man must be from God for how else could he do the things that he was doing? 
And so he has come to Jesus to see for himself. You today, I know that there is a lot about religion that the world has made of it today that doesn't make any sense. But I want you to know I understand and, and, and can agree with you in a lot of ways about that. There's a lot about religion today as it's realized or, or spoken of even in our society here in the United States that doesn't make any sense. But what I do know is that in Jesus we find an answer and an understanding to everything there is for us to know and understand about God. You say, how can this be? That's the same thing that Nicodemus said. So maybe as we have considered the sinner, and we've considered the setting, we should consider the subject that we're seeing them deal with. I want you to think about who Nicodemus was. A member of the Sanhedrin, a master of Israel, knowing the law, he could have come to Jesus to ask Him just about anything, don't you? But Nicodemus didn't come to Jesus to ask about politics, ask Jesus' thoughts on the things that the Sanhedrin was doing and to get His opinion. And He didn't come to ask Him about the culture and the events of the day and the things that Jesus was seeing or why it was that the temple was, was such a place that should be reserved and kept clean and why He drove the money changers out. Nicodemus could have asked him about all these subjects in the law that he was a master of. Maybe he wanted to hear Jesus' thoughts and opinions on. But Nicodemus didn't come to ask Jesus about any of those things. He came and said, We know that thou must be from God. Because no man can do these miracles, can do these signs that you have done, except that God be with him. The subject that Nicodemus had in mind to talk to Jesus about was Jesus Himself. It was Jesus Himself. There's a lot of times where I'm afraid that what happens, even by, by, by people that have been saved for a long time, is we try so hard to make heads and tails of the difficult things in Scripture. And we spend all of our time chasing ourselves down into these rabbit holes to understand some complex and nuanced things in Scripture that is not going to ultimately help us to be able to evangelize and witness to the lost, when in reality what we should be concerning ourselves with and desiring after is to know Jesus and to know Him more deeply that we might understand how He thought and how He talked and the things that he did that we might likewise follow in his footsteps to do those things too. I'm not going to reach the wisdom of Solomon. I'm not going to reach the understanding of Paul or of Peter or to be able to grapple with the things that, that we see being grappled with as deeply as those men were able to do. But what I do know this is that the same Jesus that they talked about, I've heard about Him and He saved me and I've walked with Him for a little while and I've studied about Him and I've learned about Him. And so while I can't converse in some deep understanding of things to come or of things that were, I can talk to you about Jesus. Jesus. And isn't that the subject that lost people need to hear about? We can talk all day long about what things are going to be like when the world ends. But I want you to know that none of that, when it comes to pass, is going to matter. What is going to matter is whether or not you know Jesus. 
heard somebody say before that on the day that Jesus returns, we're going to understand all that we need to understand about the coming of the Son of God. But we will spend eternity in heaven and just barely scratch the surface of the love that God has for us. So I ask you, which thing is more important for us to deal with? We can seek to understand the difficult things in Scripture. But as it relates, and I encourage you, study your Bible. Study it deeply. But study it that ultimately you might understand Jesus and have a deeper relationship with Him. I've heard a lot of people just tie themselves up in knots trying to understand this Scripture compared to that Scripture and all these sorts of things. And sometimes I just want to look at them and be like, what's it say about Jesus? What's it say about Jesus? Lost people might be very impressed with all your learning, but you can walk away and feel good that you told them how smart you are in things of the Bible, but they're still lost. Tell them about Jesus. About what Jesus has done for them. That's the subject that Nicodemus came desiring to understand of Jesus is, who are you? <laughs> That's a good thing to try to understand, isn't it? Who are you, Jesus? Lost friend today, I don't know what you're dealing with in life, but I ultimately know is that at some point before you die, you need to deal with this very subject that Nicodemus was dealing with. Is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And so the final thing that I want us to look at is the exchange here between Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus has came to Jesus and say, we know. It's evident that Nicodemus had been talking to other people and they've come to some sort of agreement about who Jesus is, that he must be from God. Because how else could he do these miracles except that he be from God? And so that's Nicodemus' opening line. And Jesus says in return, He says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, that except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus has came to Jesus wanting to know who Jesus is. And Jesus says in response, except you be born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. I want you to put yourself in Nicodemus' shoes for a minute. And I think you'd probably find that answer lacking. Nicodemus did too. He didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. Isn't it good to be able to relate to people in the Bible? I relate to Nicodemus in this. If all that we were left with was that, I wouldn't have probably understood what Jesus was talking about either. So Nicodemus says in response, and he says, how can a man be born when he is old? He's come and he's desiring to understand Jesus and about His message, and Jesus told him that he must be born again. And Nicodemus looks at himself and he says, I'm a grown man, and you're telling me that I should be born again. How can I be born when I'm old? Can, he enter, can a man enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? You probably laugh at that. But Nicodemus was, in, was sincere. He was trying to understand who Jesus was and what Jesus was telling him. And Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born of water, that is, be born of a woman, and be born of the Spirit, that he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He said that which is born of the flesh, that which is born of a woman, it's, it's, it's a woman, it's a man, it's, it's, a, it's a human. And he says, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. If you've been born again, you understand a thing or two about what Jesus is talking about. 
If you've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus, you've been born again as a saint of God, you realize what it is to understand the Spirit. But if you are lost and separated from God, when I talk about the Spirit dwelling among us and the Spirit living within you, that's a foreign thing to understand. Why? Because you've not experienced it. You've not known what it is to live in the Spirit. All of us know what it is to live in a human body. Every one of us understands the human condition and what it's wrought with and the things that we go through and the challenges that we face being human. But it is only when you've been born again of the Spirit that you understand spiritual things. That's what Jesus is saying. He says that which is born of a woman, that's a human. That's a a young girl, that's a young boy, that's a man, that's a woman. He says, but that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. He says, marvel not. <laughs> Jesus says, don't be amazed that I say you must be born again. He says, the wind blows where it lists. Jesus turns Nicodemus' attention as Nicodemus is trying to understand the things that Jesus is saying. He says, consider the wind. He said, the wind blows where it wishes. He says, you can hear the sound of it and you can feel it as it blows against your skin. He says, but you can't tell where it came from and you don't know where it's going. And he says, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. I want you to think about that as it relates to how you've experienced salvation. A lot of you can tell me all that you can tell me about about how the day was when you got saved. You can tell me your testimony and what church you were at or where you were at and, and what was on your mind, what songs were being sung, who was there, who was around, and all these different things. But ultimately when it comes down to understanding how it happened and why it happened, we're left wanting, aren't we? All I can tell you is that I was blind and now I see... All I can tell you is that I was weighted and burdened down with sin and all of a sudden it was gone and I was set free. I can't tell you how that transaction happened. It just happened in a moment. Oh, but what I do know is that I'm not the same that I was before it happened. I'm new. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I was nine years old when I got saved, just a few days after my ninth birthday. You might say, well, Derek, of course you're a different person than you were when you were nine. You don't understand. I have an altogether different relationship with sin because of what Jesus did. When I was an eight-year-old boy, I could lie and not think anything about it. Why? Because I was just an eight-year-old sinner. Now, I stretch the truth and I'm made to hate what it is that I have done. Why? Because I'm not who I used to be. A tall tale is no thing for a little boy to tell, is it? Oh, but the saint of God, when he finds himself in error before the truth, he is made to have such remorse and condemnation that it's felt because that is not who he is anymore. So friend, today I want you to know that when you are changed, your relationship with what you understand life to be, it changes. You're not who you used to be. It's as if suddenly you're going through life and someone put new glasses on you. And you can see like you've never seen before. 
It's like you're going through life and someone's put a new hearing aid in your ear and you can hear like you've never heard before. I remember being a little boy. I talked last week about hearing songs that would be sung at homecomings and different things. And those songs would have an impact on me. But I didn't understand the joy that the, son, that the children of God were singing about until it was that I come, came to know the Lord for myself. And suddenly the joy that the saints of God sing with and sing about, I've understood. Sinner friend, you can look around and you can say, why did all these people share their burdens with all these other people? Why did they testify about the things that they testified about? Why are they moved to be able to sing about Jesus and how they love Jesus? Why are they moved to, to proclaim that Jesus saves? Why do they want to be with me in heaven so much? Consider, friend, I want you to know that all those things that maybe you deal with and you ask yourself with and you just can't quite understand, when you know Jesus, those things are made clear to you. Nicodemus here, he was trying to understand who Jesus was. He, he knew the law and he was trying to put all this together. And Jesus said, marvel not. He said, don't be amazed. I say unto you, you must be born again. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus was speaking to him not about the law that he could keep in the flesh, but about the Spirit that he needed to come and know. Jesus kept going after another question that Nicodemus had asked. Nicodemus finally he's left to say, he says, how can these things be? Aren't you glad that we find occasions in Scripture like this where we're kind of in the same boat? How can this be? How can this be? Nicodemus says, how? How is it then that I can be born of the Spirit? Jesus answered and said to him, He said, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Jesus' words were a little harsh. But what he was pointing out was that Nicodemus should have understood what he was talking about. Because all the law and the prophets of the Old Testament, they were all forerunners to Jesus. They spoke of Him. They told of Him. And they told the same way of being saved that Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about. <clears throat> How did people in the Old Testament get saved? They got saved by looking to Jesus. You say, Derek, Jesus wasn't wasn't here yet. He wasn't, but he was he was there. He hadn't taken on flesh yet, but he was with God. And they looked ahead to his coming. It's no different than as me and you today, we look back and we say Jesus isn't here, but he was, and he's ascended into the right hand of God the Father. So we look to Jesus. And so he says, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? He says, truly, truly, I say unto you, he says, we speak, we, we talk about the things that we know and testify the things that we have seen, yet you have received not our witness. He said, if I have told you earthly things, he says, I put this in earthly terms and you believe not, how shall you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? <clears throat> Listen to what he says. He says, no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that come down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Jesus is beginning to confirm unto Nicodemus that he is in fact from God. 
And he says in verse 14, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What was Jesus talking about? He was talking about His crucifixion. He was talking about how Jesus would be lifted up on the cross. About Jesus dying for Nicodemus. (laughs) Can you imagine? Nicodemus is talking to the Son of God. And Jesus is telling him how he's going to die for him. (laughs) He says, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus understood his mission in life was that he would ultimately come and that he would bear the wrath of God for sin. That he would be lifted up and crushed for our iniquities. Jesus bore it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed in white as snow. He said, even as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 15, He says, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus says the Son of Man must be lifted up that all men can believe upon the Redeemer. He said the Son of Man must be lifted up and die for sinners. That the love of God can be realized in the hearts of man. What? That Christ Jesus died to save sinners. That's what Paul said. Paul said this is a faithful saying. He said it's a true saying, one that you can depend on, one that is timeless. He said this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. He says it's worthy to be accepted that Christ Jesus died to save sinners. You wonder who Jesus is. Christ Jesus died to save someone just like you. He died to save someone just like me. He said, For God sent not his listen to this. He said, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The purpose of Jesus' coming was not to bring condemnation upon the world. And people look at that and they say, Loving Jesus, meek and mild, he would never come to judge the world. I want you to know he's coming back to do just that. But His coming here was not that the world might condemned, be condemned, but instead that the world through Jesus might be saved. You say, listen, Derek, I don't like talking about religious things. I don't even like coming to church very much because it makes me feel bad. I don't like hearing people talk about my sins because, yeah, I know that I fall short and I mess up, but altogether I'm a pretty good person, so I don't want to come and hear about how awful I am. Sinner friend, listen to me. The purpose of talking about your sins is not that you would simply see how awful you are, but that you would see how righteous and loving Jesus is. For Jesus came not to condemn the world, but He came that you might be saved. And so when we deal with sin, what we're dealing with ultimately is that you might see the love of God in Jesus for you. Sinner friend, Christ Jesus loves you. And He died for you that you might be made new in Him. 
He said, Christ Jesus came not into the world. God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Listen to verse 18. It says, He that believeth on Him is not condemned. If you've been saved by God's grace, you are not under condemnation. You are free from sin. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, we fall short. We stub our toe every once in a while. Ellie stubbed her toe for the first time this morning. Told my wife, I said, Mark down January 31st is the first time Ellie ever stubbed her toe. You ever stubbed your toe? It hurts. I don't like it. Sometimes it's sinners that have been saved by God's grace and been declared saints. We find that we stub our toe with sin sometimes, don't we? I hate it. It hurts. I don't like it much when I do it. <laughs> but I'm not underneath the condemnation of sin anymore. I've been set free from it. No longer is the penalty for sin hanging above my head. Yes, someday this body is going to return to the earth and it's going to die. Oh, but my friend, I want you to know my soul is going to live on in paradise forever. <laughs> Why? Because I no longer have to worry about the penalty of sin anymore. This body will return to the dust, but my soul is going on to be with Jesus. Praise God. Those who believe are not condemned. But listen to the other part. It says, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Sinner friend, I want you to know your problem this morning. The problem that you have that stands in your way of being saved is sin. You say, what prevents me from being saved? It's your sin. It's your sin. I don't know what your sins are. A lot of times, if you're like me, when I was seeking after the Lord and desired to be saved, it was my pride and my stubbornness. I couldn't let go of things of the world that I might fully distrust in Jesus. Then finally, one night, while I was in the back passenger side seat of a viewing Skylark between Whiteland and Waverly, Indiana, all of a sudden, all, all of my, my foolishness just decided to let go of it. And when I let go, when I surrendered all that pride and all that stubbornness and selfishness over to the Lord, all in one moment, He saved my soul. Just like that. <laughs> I was a new creature in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Everything was made new. Up until that moment, I was already condemned. <laughs> my sins had already condemned me. Jesus didn't have to come into the world to condemn me. My sins had already done that. But Christ Jesus had come to save me. Lost friend, He's came to save you. He says, because He hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. I talked a little bit ago about how a lot of times sinners say, I don't want to talk about these things. I don't like coming to church because it makes me feel bad. Do you know why that is? It's because your deeds are evil. And when they're brought into the light, it makes you real uncomfortable. And your sins have to be dealt with. They're reproved. They're, they're exposed. And sometimes when that reality of your sin sets in, you feel like you're on display in front of everybody. Do you remember being lost and being underneath conviction? I was convinced everybody knew about it. Why? 
Because the reality, my sins were in front of me and there was nothing that I could do to cover them up. And suddenly I realized how sinful I was and all I wanted to do was to climb behind a bush and hide. All I wanted to do was climb underneath a pew and get away from everybody. Why? Because my sins were in front of me and I was crushed by them and I didn't want anyone to know about it. Sinner friend, you know what I'm talking about? Where the realization of your sin sets in so heavy on your heart. The reality of the condemnation of your evil deeds has fallen so heavy upon your shoulders and all you are doing is squirming and waiting for me to get done so you can leave. I'm probably talking about somebody today. I don't know if it's you or not. But I do know a preacher one day talked like that to me. I'm glad that he did. Aren't you? Praise God for the gospel. So for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But listen to verse 21. But that he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Why does the saved person love coming to church? We love coming to church for a whole bunch of reasons. But one of them is that we love the truth. We love to hear about what the Lord has done. We love to hear about the sweet name of Jesus. About what He has done on behalf of all those that come to believe. We love to hear about the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We love to hear about how we might walk better after Him. How we might live more clearly and openly for Him. We come that we would step into the light and that our deeds might be made manifest that they are wrought in God. The saint of God loves standing in the light. <laughs> I don't know if you've spent any time in the light, but I like it a lot. You know what I don't like about winter in Indiana? is days like today. And it's not that it's cold. I can handle the cold. It's not that there's snow on the ground. I can handle the snow. But it's the gloom. If it was a nice sunny day outside, all of us would have a little bit better of a pep in our steps, wouldn't we? Why? Because the sun's out. And it's good to stand in the light of the sun. My friends, I want you to know it's good to stand in the light of the Son of God. To feel the warmth and the love that He has for us. You ever walked outside maybe one of those first few days of spring? It's a nice sunshine day and it's, the temperatures are a little warmer. You step out and you feel that sun on your face. And you just feel the warmth that's been lacking for the months that have led up to that. Makes you feel good, don't it? <clears throat> Sinner friend, I want you to know when you step into the light after spending months and months in the cold and darkness, it changes you. It changes you. We understand by testimony of Scripture that Nicodemus has changed. I don't know if it was in this exchange specifically that, that Nicodemus got saved or if it was sometime later. But we can read in John's Gospel about when Jesus Christ was crucified that it was Joseph of Arimathea and it was here with Nicodemus that were those that were desiring to give a defense for him. But Nicodemus came to believe. And it all started one night when this man of some authority 
came to ask Jesus for himself who he was. Sinner friend, today I have tried to tell you something about Jesus. I don't know if I've fallen short in that endeavor or not, but what I do know this is that if you are going to come to know Jesus, you're going to come to know him for yourself. You're going to come to know him because you call out upon him and you cry out to him that you might be saved. You cry out to Him that you might leave all the sinfulness of your life behind you to turn away from that, to forsake that, and believe in the name of Jesus. We're going to get a song together. And sinner friend, if the Lord's dealing with you in some way, those things I talked about earlier describe you. I want to encourage you to seek after the Lord. To come and ask Jesus for yourself who He is. I believe that Jesus will reveal Himself to anyone that comes to Him. Paul was preaching one time on Mars Hill there in Athens. And he got up and he was talking about all the idols that the, the people of Athens had erected unto all these different gods. And he began to preach about this unknown God that they had erected this altar to. He desired to proclaim to them about the true and living God. And he said that this God is not far from any one of us but that instead that He can be sought after. That He's nearby. The psalmist put it this way. He said that the Lord is nigh to those. He's near those who are of a broken heart and a contrite that is a crushed spirit. Sinner friend, today do you feel a brokenness and a crushedness upon you as your sins weigh upon yourself, weigh upon your mind, weigh upon your heart? We talk about Conviction. Conviction is a convincing that you would be convinced of your sins. Sinner friend, I want you to know when you become convinced of your sins, when the Holy Spirit itself bears to you the realization that you are lost and separated from God, when the Holy Spirit puts out in front of you all your sins, it's going to be a realization in your heart that causes your heart to break and it causes your spirit to crush. But I've got good news for you, sinner friend. While that feeling is one of the deepest depths of despair, behold that God is near you. He's not that far away. And He can be found if happily, if perhaps, you would seek after Him. Let's get a song. Let's stand to our feet. Sinner friend, today if you understand that conviction that the Spirit is pointing out to you, the realization of your sins, don't turn these things away. Don't put off what, what can be the greatest, most life-changing day of your life because of your refusal to believe upon the name of Jesus. Listen to me, I know that there are things in the Scriptures that are desirous of every person to try to understand. There have been just over the last 10 years, there have been prediction after prediction after prediction about when the world was going to end. People trying to make heads and tails of all sorts of different things in Scriptures. But I want you to know, sinner friend, today, the most important thing you'll ever understand about this book is who Jesus is. And you will only truly understand that when you come to know Him in fellowship. All of these Scriptures point to one man. The man Christ Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know this man Nicodemus came to? We're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. The Lord's dealing with you. I encourage you to come and seek after him. Yeah, Jesus isn't located somewhere where you can go to him like Nicodemus did by night. 
where you can come and get to know Jesus upon your knees in prayer. We have this bench up here. It's a very convenient place for you to come and pray and for us to gather around you and pray with you. But I want you to know you come to know Jesus in your heart, seeking after him and crying after him in prayer. So as we stand and as we sing, the Lord's dealing with you. Won't you come pray?